Welcome to Old Town New World. We're here in Old Town Rock Hill, South Carolina at Millstone Pizza. My name's Jason Broadwater. My name's Chris Gervais. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of Small Town USA. So uh, with us today, of course, the ever-silent Micah. Welcome, Micah. Well said. Swinging a hammer. Swinging a, a hammer. That, that's kind of loud. Uh, of course, Chris, you look handsome today, Chris. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You look handsome yourself. Oh, thanks, man. Like oh. Damn, <laughs> we ought to have video. <laughs> <laughs> and our honored guest here today, thank you, Kristen. Good to see you. Is Mr. Tommy Pope, Representative Tommy Pope, Attorney Tommy Pope and good old York Clover Tommy Pope. Welcome, Tommy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. Absolutely. Tommy is, and, and I always say all these things backwards, but Tommy is our representative for uh, District 47 in the House and for the state of South Carolina. That's correct. That's correct. In Columbia, not Washington. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. Columbia, not Washington. Good. And you've, how long have you been uh, in public service, Tommy? I was first elected to solicitor in 1992, and I stayed there, to, uh, left in 2006, and then went into the House. I was elected in 2010, and I continue to be here. That's excellent. And uh, Tommy is, as many of you may know, going to run for governor here in 2018, which we'll get to in a little bit. But uh, we, I, we around this table have a pretty firm belief that we might be interviewing the next governor. So we're going to get to replay this hopefully in the future. Um, we'll Tell see your what friends. Tell, Tell your friends. friends. Yeah. Tell your friends. So anyway, <clears throat> Tommy, let's back up here. Law enforcement. You come from law enforcement, right? right? That's fair right. to say, wouldn't you say? I think that's accurate. Yeah, yeah that, my dad was in 43 years. And he was a sheriff? He was sheriff in York County. I note that he was sheriff in uh, the 80s. Right after I graduated high school and went to college, Dad ran for sheriff. I don't know if there's any correlation that he waited till I was out of town. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he was a uh, sheriff and ended up retiring with 43 years at the sheriff's office. Wow, and that's sheriff of York County, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. And then you went into law enforcement. Right. And you um, ended up, before solicitor, how did you get to solicitor? Yeah, I went, uh, I graduated Rock Hill High in 80 and went down to Carolina. My mother was uh, a, a educator and had her masters and and dad kind of came out of world war ii he hadn't even graduated in high school and he said when you go off to college uh, i don't want you to be in law enforcement i want you to get an education like your mother yeah and i went off to college i'm thinking the last thing i'm thinking you know i'm going to carolina i'm gonna be in five points or something yeah, I'm gonna, right. you know and uh, uh ironically within a year i was working at the state law enforcement division and uh, it was uh, kind of funny looking back now. I'm actually working on some of my gubernatorial stuff and working on some website stuff and everything. And and uh, this, uh, we have an intern uh, working with me, and she said, I was looking at your LinkedIn your LinkedIn page, and we need to kind of clean this up because it said something that you were at the sled. And I said, yeah, that's right. And it says you were a phone boy. And I said, <laughs> she said, I don't think that's what we should call it. And I said, but that's what it was. <laughs> I, said, I was a phone boy. So I was a phone boy. So uh, um, 
which is a very technical term that's for because that's before the phone was invented so you had to run messages yeah, back boy, and forth yeah <laughs> if we ever get one that actually works we're going to call it a yeah. phone yeah. <laughs> it's Should we call it phone man yeah, yeah. I, I, phone I took my job well, i was going to say it finally when uh, years later when they got politically correct and had phone girls and they just didn't call them phone right, girls yeah, you know right. then it's like night duty officer or something right, yeah. so anyway i started uh Started there and uh, graduated Carolina. And so, so phone boy sounds like you answer the phone. That was That's it. Oh, okay, okay. That was it. It's very complicated. Okay, <laughs> okay, 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 okay. I was the night duty officer, and uh, basically, you would not believe the number of phone calls that the state law enforcement division gets at night, particularly on full moon times. Oh, wow. And oh, the uh, werewolves come out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or the infrared laser beams that you know the FBI has that they oh, use. Right, yeah. yeah. Did you recommend tinfoil? Oh, I in fact did, ironically, <laughs> you know. And I actually have a letter somewhere where the the lady wrote me and thanked me. I actually used a refracting device to block the laser beams, but it was set to go off at midnight, and she called me at 12:05 and said the pain had stopped. Wow, that's impressive. I'm gonna give her. So should we wait till this giant hammering stops? I think it did. Okay, um, okay. So, from phone boy, right? Ha what's the gap? Jumping to solicitor. Yeah, how do we get to solicitor okay, from I'll phone give you boy? I'll the nickel tour quick right. as I can. Um, so phone boy, we call it getting blue lights in your blood. On the nights I wasn't answering the phone, I ran with the bloodhounds. I worked with the undercover guys. I did all kind of stuff. The lab guy, that was way before CSI, but you could go back and watch them test the bloody knife or whatever. Um, I fell in love with it. So back, you remember dad said, don't be in law enforcement. Right, yeah. I was all in. All I wanted to do was graduate so I could be full-time law enforcement. Graduated Carolina in a business management degree and started uh, and worked in narcotics at the state law enforcement division. Was there a number of years and the chief at SLED took an interest in me um, and he wanted me to go to law school. Man, I did not want to go to law school. I had a blue light and a siren and a gun. I was yeah, chasing right. bad guys. Why did I yeah, want to go to law school? Exactly. Luckily, the adult in the room prevailed, <laughs> and uh, I ended up going to law school and uh, graduated law school, went back to SLED. It was interesting. And I was you went to law school at USC? Yeah. Okay. And I was a legal advisor uh, with the state law enforcement division for the governor's raid team. That was the multi-jurisdiction narcotics team. And I remember it was all the same guys I'd worked in you know with working in narcotics but now i have a law degree yeah so we go out to our first raid and uh down in orangeburg and basically what you do you'd work undercover for a period of months buying crack from people and identify them then you go on the big raid where you run them all down and serve the warrants on them and uh, just loads of fun <laughs> anyway so now i'm a legal advisor and I, I distinctly remember two of the guys had a fellow up against the wall and they're turning his pockets out and one pocket's got the big wad of cash and the other pocket's got you know the bags of crack or whatever and Mr. New Lawyer's going, well, constitutionally, guys, I don't know that you have probable cause to be yeah. turning his pockets out. At which point they say, shut up and hold the flashlight. Exactly. So, so yeah. I found out my job as legal advisor was not to tell you what not to do, but to figure out tomorrow why you did what you did you. last yeah, that's night. Right, that's right. Yeah. So anyway, went to law school, was there, and at some point had a chance to prosecute, uh, be a, an assistant solicitor down in Lexington. And ultimately, after about three years down there, um, York County was kind of laboring under the, the worst criminal backlog in the state. And uh, I moved back home up here, ran for solicitor. I was 29 when I filed and ran for solicitor and uh, ended up getting elected. 
often said I didn't know if they saw merit in the young man and my position and my policies or figured, heck, he can't do any worse than that other guy. They yeah. got the worst backlog in the state, you know? Maybe the lady that you saved from the laser beam was part of the decision. Uh, she might have been. I might will have. take my voters wherever I can get them, brother. You know? Now, you um, were, in, in, in your service to solving a particular case, you had the national spotlight all on you and all around York County with the Susan Smith right, trials. Right, right. Right. It was interesting because, uh, again, I, I kind of, I got elected in 92, started office in 93, tried my first death penalty April of 93, and was really just kind of wading into cleaning up this backlog. You, you know, for your listeners, you know, it's basically a backlog of cases that can't get to court in a timely fashion. It affects people that have been charged. It affects victims. It affects your law enforcement. Your jails are overcrowded. I mean, it's, it's a big issue. Um, so I kind of signed on to take care of that in, in short order, didn't seem so short at the time, but we put in a, a system that's actually now modeled and it's used all around the state um, in handling the cases. Basically what it did was make sure, traditionally you go chronologically, well the problem is you got one big murder case and three little simple cases behind it, they could get stuck. So you moved them out into tracks so the little simple cases could go quicker and the bigger ones you'd tackle them as you did. So long story short, I was doing that, we we're going to get that in and in, in rolling and uh, the Susan Smith case happened in Union County. See, I actually have two counties, York County and Union County. Union was my smaller county. It's Union County, South Carolina, and that's where Susan Smith rolled her kids in the lake. So, you know, I had moments where I'm going, whoa, I signed up to clean up the backlog, not to be on national television, right, right. you know? So you, I mean, you were on like CNN and Fox, I don't imagine all that. Everybody Oprah came to town. Wow. Really? Yeah, Larry King. Get him. Should we clarify, like in case you're listening to this and don't remember that or have heard of it, it was it was Susan Smith, I guess she, she actually killed her kids, she drowned them in a lake and then lied about it. She did. She, she rolled her kids in the lake in Union and claimed that her um, her kids in had been car. hijacked. In a car. Put them in a car. Yeah. And, uh, and claimed that her kids had been hijacked by um, an African-American. So there was the racial tension right. part going on. Um, and she spent... I'm trying to remember now a number of days, maybe even nine days, pleading to the media to help people help find her kids for oh the whole time. I think that's probably what amplified yeah, it. Yeah, I was pretty young, but I, t I definitely remember her crying on TV. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Captured yeah. the emotions of the entire community. I mean, everybody was on her side at first. Oh, no doubt, no yeah. doubt. People were going out and working and trying to, you know, help find the kids. And I think too, what happened kind of as a backdrop, the O.J. Simpson case was going on. So the racial tension got amplified then. Right, and the uh, the fact that the O.J. case was going on, uh, you know, there's TV shows kind of coming on now more about O.J. The trial in O.J. was a circus. Yeah. And so we were able to handle the case, and I guess with the South, you know, especially when they have an accent like mine, you know, you, you heap of trouble, boy. You know, it's right, like the Dukes yeah. of Hazard right. or something. The fact that I handled it, you know, arguably in a competent fashion, um, you know, was kind of entrance, instant credibility for, for us in South Carolina, either A, because the bar was so low, they had right. such low expectations, <laughs> or because OJ, literally, that trial went on for like a year, and we knocked ours out in, you know, several weeks, and we're done and, with and it. And it was, you know, they're making a television series now. There's already been a television series. It was called The Actual Trial. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Right, right, right. Yeah, for our right. entertainment kind of thing. Right. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, the new one just wrapped up. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was really good. So... You're in law enforcement. That means you want to arrest everybody, right? 
Um, that's what guys like you that have had too much to drink seem to think. But uh, no, the cool thing about being the prosecutor for me, I was actually talking to a fifth grader. That's about my level of education. Yeah. You know, there was a young man that thought he wanted to be an attorney, and I said, "Why?" And he said, uh, "I want to do a cr criminal defense." He said, "I want to, you know, help people." And I said, well, let me tell you the neat thing about being a prosecutor, and it's not what you think it's going to be. The neat thing about a prosecutor, if you're really doing your job, your job's to seek the truth. And that means uh, prosecuting the ones that need to be prosecuted and reducing or dismissing a charge when they don't. Right. Now, I'm not here to say that that's what every prosecutor views their job, but that's right. what it's really supposed to be. It's about seeking the truth. And so that was the neat thing for me. The beauty is, too, is the prosecutor you have more power. As a defense attorney, you can advocate for your client, but at the end of the day, I can take what you're selling and take it or leave it, you right, know? Right. And so that's the kind of neat thing I really liked about being a prosecutor. But you know, when I was young, particularly coming off the law enforcement thing, I remember when I first was making my cases in narcotics at SLED, and you know, every case I made was should have been absolutely prosecuted to the max. Right, yeah. You know, I'm young and I've yeah, made yeah, these yeah, cases. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and so, you'd hear, you know, I'd make cases all over the state. Well, different prosecutors would handle them different ways. And so I'd be really frustrated that, that you know, I worked really hard and worked undercover and risked my life and bought this dope and then they did, you know, let the guy in PTI or something. Right. I used to get indignant. You know, after I got, you know, after a while, it's the serenity prayer, except right. the things you cannot change. Yeah, right. I just made the cases and let the prosecutors do what they would. Yeah. yeah. So I know that's not the same thing as being a detective by any stretch of the imagination, but it doing that job and analyzing information like that, did you develop those kind of skills where you look at stuff now and get, like, gut instincts about situations no, not like my wife my wife's the master you know your wife has that knower or whatever she yeah, knows yeah, when yeah. you're up to no good even if you don't know yeah, it or she right. just you know. oh, yeah. my, my best would I always share was back when I was solicitor my my youngest son went to a, a little Christian school up in York and I get a call in the middle of the day that he's been on a fight in the playground and you know, my wife's calling me, but I'm at work. I kind of can't deal with it, but I don't want to be supportive because right. I know it'll be heck to pay when I get back, you know, home, you know. Anyway, so we go through this whole thing, and he will, they've been in the preacher's office slash principal, you know, and they, they will, and he will never come clean that he hit, you know, Billy on the playground. And matter of fact, at the time, probably from some incident inflicted by my older son, my younger son, actually, his arm was in a sling. So, you know, there's some, oh, the pity. The there's pity, some right. mystery, yeah, right. there's some mystery yeah. going on here. Yeah. So I get home that night and the whole day, even though I've been at work, it's been spent unraveling this mystery and Preston never admitted to anything, yeah. right? Okay, so I get there and I go upstairs and I talk to him and I said, bro, did you have a good day today? Yes, sir. I said, uh, well, you know, Mama told me that you, you know, you hit, you know, Billy on the basketball court, or whatever. I'm not saying Billy didn't deserve it. That'll be for another episode, you know. But, but I said, I just couldn't figure how that would happen. He said, No, sir, I did, I did. I said, Well, that's what I was telling your mama. I said, You know, because you know, you're right-handed and your arms in a sling. I said, I couldn't figure out how that happened. He said, It's because I hit him with this one. <laughs> <laughs> and his, he held up his left hand, yeah, and, and, and his mama's standing right there, and she's going, he confessed, he confessed. And I go, that's why I do what I yeah, do. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I remember one time my brother and a bunch of other teenagers got picked up by the police for camping out, and they had a bunch of beer out, and they were, you know, camping out in some land out in Chester or whatever. 
they brought them all in, called in all the parents, you know, they brought, you know, that kind of teenage type of thing. And um, they all had to go to court, and they were all, uh, my brother was up on the stand, and uh, one, the attorney or whatever was saying, so how'd you get the alcohol? And my brother said, well, I just hung out outside of this little kind of crappy store and waited until somebody came out, and I offered them 20 bucks to buy me a bunch of alcohol. And uh, the prosecutor, whoever it was, or defendant, I don't know, said, now that just doesn't seem believable. And Ryan stands up and says, that's how I always get it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went, wait a minute, strike that from the record. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will tell you, that was, with my son was probably my high point outside the courtroom. My low point was probably when I first started in law enforcement, back when I was a phone boy and I was running with the bloodhounds, and we had caught these guys that had uh, that broken into this, this house, and they had caught three guys, and two of them were the guys that actually went in the house, and the other guy was like the getaway guy. But it's like, you know, it was like you three, and uh, it's always the silent guy that gets to, you know, stay back at the car, you know? And so, so anyway, while they're, in, while they're interrogating the two main guys, they leave me with Silent Mike. So, you know, I'm not much older than him, you know, so I'm chatting him up and stuff, and, and he comes to tell me that what's really happened was those guys said they had stayed at that house the night before and they left some stuff and they were just running by to get it. And when he was driving, well, he just wait while they went in. Okay, I, I understand. So when the sled agents, the senior, the real agents came and uh, were ready to interrogate Silent Mike, I said, well, let me tell you, I've already talked to him. Let me tell you what he said. So he really didn't have any knowledge of it or whatever. And they said, okay, we're just going to follow up with him. So I'm feeling, you know, yeah, kind of, oh, you know, we build a rapport, yeah, you know. Right. So I'm like, we're feeling each other. It's good. <laughs> About five minutes later, they come out with a confession statement. The driver guys confessed to being behind the whole thing. And I'm going, <laughs> Mike, yeah. you broke my heart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I'm, we yeah, I'm thinking, I, you know, I'm going to help you. I'm going to put a good word in with the man. So, yeah. So, so, yeah. So, so apparently I had not bonded. So going back to your skills question, so, yeah. sometimes you're the windshield, sometimes you're the bug. That's you know? right. So, all right. So a lot of attention around uh, handling very well the um, Susan Smith trial and um, cleaning up the backlog, implementing an effective system in law enforcement. And then you uh, come back here to Rock Hill and... Uh, well, yeah, I was here. Yeah, yeah. I was here as solicitor. I was here in York County. Oh, that's true. Yeah, okay, so not yeah. come back. But you, then, yeah. you, uh, then you kind of get out of that for a minute here and you join a law firm with uh, Luke Elrod. And I did. I actually, um, believe it or not, retired. Oh. When I started, when I was 18 years old, the chief at SLED I was talking about, he said you get $200 every two weeks and you get retirement. And so I'm 18 years old and I go, now when do you get that $200? You know, the important things, you know. Well, suddenly 25 years later, um, you know, I'd, I'd been around, I was 40 something and 43, I guess. And I, I, anyway, I had enough to retire. Well, you know, the solicitor's an elected job, but I had still, uh, you know, I could have continued, I believe, to be elected, but it was kind of a chance, one, to just kind of do, go off, do something totally different uh, number two, I've got a house full of kids that are going to go to college, so I thought, yeah. well, I'll start collecting the retirement and make, you know, kind of a yeah, second paycheck. Right. Yeah. So so that's what I did. And uh, so I actually started my own firm with uh, one of the guys from the solicitor's office, and after a couple years, um, ended up joining Luke Elrod's firm. With uh, I was doing a lot of work with Jack Leader and Harold yeah. Staley and uh, yeah. David Benson, and so I joined my firm to theirs. 
Okay, well, we know your firm well. We did a little work for you guys in the past. Uh, wonderful firm, great reputation, good folks. Um, and then you got decided that you were going to run for seat 47. Right. I live up kind of near between York and Clover, and I ran for House uh, 47 back then. Mr. Kirsch uh, had been representing that area for a number of years, and I was trying to wait till Mr. Kirsch retired, and then. Um, but he Matter of fact, make a graceful exit necessarily. No, not necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily. Actually, what happened is some uh, some other guy filed his name first. Uh, I think, Jason, that was your candidate, Vance Stein. Oh, now yeah, that I Vance. recall, I was, I was, yeah. <laughs> that's the first video I saw. I Vance asked me. He said, Can you "Help me beat Tommy Pope." I said, "Hell, I didn't know Tommy was running." <laughs> Actually, it's funny. Vance came oh, to me. Said, he said, "Oh, you mean in an election?" Yeah, I can hit him with right. a tire tool. Yeah. Actually, it's funny. Vance came to me and said, uh, "I want to run for this, and uh, you know, I, I think you could help me out." So I started helping him out. And then he came to me and said, "I." I, I got. I don't know if you heard yet. And I was like, "What?" He said, "Well, Tommy's gonna run." Uh, and I thought, "Oh crap!" <laughs> <laughs> you know what? What happened uh, there is, it was time for Mr. Kirsch to go, and I give Vance credit because I think he. You know, we had another guy from uh, York that ended up filing too. But um, I just, I didn't want to run against Mr. Kirsch. You know, kind of out of respect. But he needed to go. But he wasn't gonna leave. Right, and that, yeah. So the, the, actually, with Vance running was perfect for me because it, I remember one of my political guys called me and, and he said, man, I just don't think you need to run against Mr. Kirsch. And I said, well, you know, what if one of these other guys wins? And uh, he said, well, you can run against them next time. I said, what if they do a good job? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, in politics, it doesn't matter. You can always run against them next time. So anyway, I ended up running and I think, uh, um, um, I was trying to think of the guys from, from York's name. I'm, I used to um, do a, a, my mind's going blank here. That's called senility. But anyway, <laughs> we all ran a, you know, a, a courteous race. And yeah. I thought, we'd, you know, even when I, then I won the primary and then when I ran against Mr. Kirsch, it was kind of neat. Um, I had done uh, my home homework and when Mr. Kirsch ran initially, he was young and, um, and uh, he had run against the incumbent. And so on one of the little debate things, town halls or whatever, um, I told this story about a young man and thinking he had a better about idea. Yeah. yeah, and uh, wow, it, it was well um, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, and it was cool because it sounded like I was talking about me and her. Yeah, right. You know, and then I, and that, yeah. that worked pretty cool. But anyway, so I said the greatest testament to my ability to convince others was convincing my wife to let me run for something yeah. else again in 2010, you know? You've been in, in, in office now. And I've I, been in, in, I went in 2010, so I got elected in 2010, actually went in 2011, and uh, it's been an adventure. The first time uh, Ralph Norman here ran for speaker against Bobby Harrell, um, and uh, um, Bobby Harrell was the speaker that later got indicted. So, I mean, I think there was some forethought on uh, Ralph's part on that. Well, the local guys, uh, it was us, see me, Gary Simmerl, Ralph, John King, and a guy from Lexington called Nathan Ballantyne. They called us the Norman Five. Because there's 124 in the house, and I've got five votes. But uh, the downside of going against the power base, this is kind of government, kind of politics, is uh, then you worry the speaker gets to decide what committees people are on. 
Well, you know, I've had a career 20-something years in the, the judicial system. Needless to say, I did not end up on the Judiciary Committee. I needed... Uh, so it's almost it, punitive. Like, is, is it petty? Is there pettiness? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there there was, and I'm going I'm to take you to where we are now because I think we're in a much, much better place. But, um, yeah, it was funny. Now, the funniest thing Bobby Harrell ever said to me, I give him credit, he said, uh, Pope, I didn't punish you for voting against me, which was not necessarily accurate, I don't yeah. believe. He said, just after I rewarded everybody that did support me, there wasn't a lot of it's slots left. <laughs> wow. Good so gracious. anyway, so I spent yeah. the first two years on the 3M committee, which is municipal. They make tape. Ah, you boys. Hey, <laughs> hey rape your wit than any seventh grader to be proud to have. <laughs> Got that from the Wonder Years. Feel free to use nice. that with us. <laughs> so, uh, uh, anyway, uh, that was municipal, military, and uh, medicinal. Medicinal, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so it does some very important stuff, but traditionally that's been kind of the committee that um, the the Democrats would were kind of given authority over, kind of as they throw them a bone throw kind of thing. Yeah. But I, um, I remember when I first got there, uh, um, John King was on that committee. And uh, he was talking, and we're sitting there, and I'm still kind of bummed out because I tried to, you know, deal with Bobby's issue on the up and up and thought I would, you know, probably still end up being on judiciary, you know, because there was a good chance because of being an attorney. And I wasn't, so I'm kind of bummed out. And John King was sitting there, and he said, Pope, who's that uh, fellow on the end? And it's interesting, a large number of people in 3M are African-American Democrats. And I said, I don't know, Johnny. You know, you've been here a lot longer than me. I mean, it's a, you know, he's an older African American gentleman. He said, No, he said, No, on the end. I said, What? And right next to the African American guy, and next over, was a new white guy. <laughs> and he, he was talking about him. Yeah. I said, John, you know, because all those white Republican guys yeah, right, know, each know each other. I said, John, I said, this is like bizarro world here. Yeah, right. He's talking about, who's that on the end? You mean the white guy on the end, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. But anyway, the neat thing for me on that is getting on there, I just rolled up my sleeves and got involved in what that committee did. Got made a lot of good friends. Um, the next two years, I ended up on judiciary, so I was on judiciary committee. And then this last uh, session, I was elected by my peers. I'm, I'm Speaker Pro Tem. I'm, I laugh, I said, I'm the number two man in the house behind the speaker. We now have a new speaker, Jay Lucas, from down in Hartsville. And that's made all the difference for me as far as even wanting to be involved in leadership. Jay's done a tremendous job. But I laugh, I said, I have all the same power as the speaker as long as he's like in the bathroom yeah, or something. Right. You, know, you know, I'm running the show and gabbling yeah. along with Jay's and I'm going, here brother, want another glass of water? You know, yeah, right. You know. You're like, try these beans. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You might need another time? Yeah. yeah. Right. So let me ask you this. I mean, I know you, you're not fond of tooting your own horn here, but I mean, that's, that is a, uh, your, your peers determined that for some reason, right. it was advantageous to them, because everybody is to some extent self-motivated, sure, sure, sure. but it's advantageous to put you in that. So, so, so my question is, what is their motivation to have somebody like you in that position? I tell you, and it, it's hard to articulate, again, if you don't want to toot your own horn, but here's what happened. That first year, two years that I was there, my son, my, my middle son, went down and uh, shattered me one day. He was in middle school. 
spent the whole day with me. Went to committee meetings, went to... Uh, went to breakfast, he went to lunch. Yeah, well, I, was gonna say, <laughs> I was getting to that. I was getting to... I'll, I'll tell you later about when he asked me at the at the drop, at the, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the evening, I got him over there eating his little, you know, snacks or whatever at one of the drop-ins and, you know, I'm around talking to everybody and... I said, Bubba, you need anything? And I'm kind of making a loop around and then come back and talk to him. He said, I was wondering, could I maybe have one more Coca-Cola? I said, brother, you in the land of unlimited Coca-Cola. You can have two Coca-Colas, you know. Tell me you want one. Please, please. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And uh, But anyway, anyway, so he spends the whole day with me, goes, goes on the floor, goes to committee meetings, goes to everything, and we're riding home that night. And so I'm going, this is the point where I go, so, son, what did you think? Yeah, and this is right. the time when he's going to go, you know, I'm so proud of you, Dad, and you're, you know, representing the people, blah, blah, blah. He said, well, well, really, to tell you the truth, it's really a lot like middle school. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, brother, more than you know. Yeah, right. Because it was funny, when I first got there, it almost reminded me of a bad after-school special. Right. There's, like, the cool kids and the jock kids, and, you know, you're like the freshman in middle school, right. you know, and you know, do you have any friends that are juniors or seniors, yeah, right, you know, and yeah. all this different stuff, and I was very fortunate, Gary Simrel had served a number of years, and Gary was a good friend of mine, and he really kind of looked out, out for me, but anyway, what happened after that time, I decided, and, and this, I mean, this is biblical, but, but you asked, so I decided I was going to remember how I was treated and what I liked and what I disliked about it. And I've tried to do that when I was solicitor, when I was law enforcement, anything else. And I was going to treat the people that came behind me how I wish I had been treated, not how I was treated. So what ended up happening is I became friends with the folks who got elected in 2012 and 2014 and for no reason other than friendship and treating to being nice. Well, what ended up happening when it came time and Jay Lucas was the Speaker Pro Tem, when he moved to Speaker and I decided to move for Speaker Pro Tem, all these people who I had been friends with, not because I needed something, but just because I was friends, came, they worked for me to help me get elected. Well, the cool thing is, it's like you do what mama taught you to do, that you learned in church, and it pays off, yeah, yeah. you know. You know, and so, so that's kind of the approach I've taken. Even as I go forward to governor, to me, I feel like I've stumbled on this secret: is treat people. I mean, we try to do it at our law firm. Treat people the way you'd want to be treated. And I mean, is it perfect? Does that mean they'll still try to take advantage of you, or who do you? Especially in the political world. Of course, I always joke. I said, you know, I'm an elephant. I'm a Republican. I don't hold a grudge, but I don't ever forget. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, okay, so let's move to this gubernatorial thing. So, gubernatorial? Yeah, which is a great word, by the way. It's I a great play on words with this Leslie accent I have, yeah, right? Goober. Yeah. All right, the gubernatorial thing. Goober says, hey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the goober nativity scene. Wait a minute. <clears throat> yeah, that's it. Thank you. That's us. You got it. Thank you. Okay. So, is it that the state needs a better CEO is it that the state needs the next CEO or is it that you just want to keep on kind of affecting more people in some positive way I mean, why those are all those are all great points and I'll, I'll start with this it's kind of a, a strange thing and in, in, in kind of doing a self-check you know I've had uh, my 15 minutes of fame 
I've been on Oprah and, you know, all this stuff. And I've been, so I can tell you now, until you have it, you always think you want it. Haven't had it, I can tell you, it's kind of, the 15 minutes of fame thing's kind of highly overrated. Right. You know, it's uh, um, like eating that box of donuts. <laughs> Bo, it seemed like a plan yeah, at right. the time. You're like, man, that it's was like, a horrible like, idea. Like, yeah, it's a horrible idea. idea. <laughs> we were almost home. But but so so and and to do it actually financially, you know, I'll end up giving up the law firm, my my part in the law firm. So financially, because you know, it's funny, people say, uh, um, well, you're just doing it because. You know, you get to live in the governor's mansion, you have a swimming pool. I said, Bo, I got a pond and a swimming pool in New York. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Exactly, I mean, yeah. no disrespect no. to the state, but the governor's mansion reminds me of Aunt Louise's house. <laughs> you know, it's got like the, the, the furniture that you don't sit on because you might break it. Yeah, you know, right, yeah, exactly, yeah. it's, We took a tour. I was trying to get my kids kind of jacked on the governor's thing. We took a tour, and the lady, the docent, you know, is telling us all the history, and she's showing us around, and she gets to the library, and she said, you know, and there's books like that predate the civil war and she's going she's going and oftentimes the first family will come down and enjoy these books and i'm thinking sister the pope team is not going to touch these books i <laughs> yeah, said right. i'd come around you know there'd be like an ice cream sandwich in the middle yeah, of one yeah, of them yeah. or the pages would be <laughs> torn out yeah, you know exactly. so, <laughs> yeah so uh, needless to say it's it's not for that but i think kind of going back to your lead-in it's really a combination of factors for me um i don't think I think there's a way we can lead and build relationships and do right by the people and everybody can still get credit. You know, the problem with politics, if you don't get any credit, nobody thinks you do anything. Right. If you're grabbing credit all the time, are you really doing what's best? Right. So I think there's a way to, to do that that's kind of a win for everybody. So that's what I maybe hadn't seen as much. You know, it's there's too much war between you know, the legislature and the governor, people love that. But yeah. you know, does it really do what's best for the yeah, state yeah. to do that? And so, so I think there are things I could possibly get done legislatively by being the governor, by going and shutting the door and let's find a way to resolve this, not I'm gonna call you out on Facebook right. or whatever the case may be. And you know, that, that style's worked for our governor, but I just, I think that's, that's part of the problem. The other thing for me, if somebody ever asked, Career-wise, what was my greatest accomplishment? Um, I would end up, people would naturally think it was the Susan Smith case. That's what I'm most known for. But my greatest accomplishment, I believe, was leading that office to go from the worst backlog in the state to the most efficient in the state. And the reason being, that's having an effect on people's lives now while I'm getting to sit at the picnic table right, with right, you. Right. And so that's the change that I would be most proud of. Well, now if you look at the state, if you could bring that same approach and reform DOT or reform um, DSS or DJJ or any cabinet agency, not just be over it because I'm the governor, but actually, and I don't mean micromanage either, but roll up your sleeves and figure out what's wrong. I've come up, you know, the governor has the state employees when they answer the phone say it's a great day in South Carolina. Yeah. Doesn't matter what you're calling about, yeah. they always say that, you know. I'd like to build on it. Horrible yeah, reason. Yeah. Like, it's day. a great day. In a coroner's office, it's a great, you know, you know. But but I've got an idea, and you know, I guess this is a little politicky. But I said, what if we could fix these agencies 
so that after you dealt with DOT or you dealt with this agency, you hung up the phone and you said, and you said it's a great day in South Carolina. So anyway, that's kind of what I think I bring so to the table. service? Yeah, you know, well, but you 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 fix the the mechanics of the the institution. The operational itself. efficiency. There you go. I mean, I'm a do, fan of that. do you feel? I mean, Tommy. So what you did when you when you kind of quote fixed or however you want to call it, right? Uh, that it, it was that's very much an operational. No doubt. That's like a COO no right. type of thing. Right. And then you had you had the vision as the CEO of that situation to say, this is where we need to focus. Right. We need, it needs to be an operational thing. And we'll deal with that. Yeah, Here's but let's fix operations. I'm a first. template. I'm, I'm a big fan. You you find a way that works, and there's always going to be exceptions, particularly in the criminal justice system. But any any system, find a, a mechanics. You know, we talked a little bit early about uh, just tax reform in general. Find good common sense principles. And, and apply them to, that's what you do with your own business. Yeah. Nobody's gonna bail you out, right. you know, if you don't do it. Yeah. So you gotta be smart and figure out where you're wasting and where you're not. You know, the one thing I said is, is that as attractive, is that as sexy as cutting a ribbon on, on Boeing? Absolutely not. And I get that part of the equation, but for this, I almost want to focus on South Carolina again. Yeah. Not to say, you know, it's ironic you were talking about the small towns and things. The things that may not be as sexy as me cutting a ribbon at a you know, big business, certainly we want big business, but what if we could just raise the quality of life in, in whatever sector or whatever factor by the services that the state does provide doing a better job, yeah. you know? Okay, so. Here's my I have a dream speech. That yeah, was right, it. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> oh, so Tommy has a dream, yeah. Okay, so. I, I hear you loud and clear, and I completely agree that so many aspects of our state, our government, could be operated more efficiently. Right. Maybe maybe um, see through some things that maybe don't need to be there, right. reorganize a little right. bit, get more efficient. Great. And, and, and I don't mean to undermine that by saying great or anything, or belittle that in any way. That's absolutely critical. Actually, in my business, I constantly seek out help and need help in um, operations and operation efficiently because right. it's, it's not my strength. Right. My strength right. is more on the vision and creativity right. side and, it, and it's a crippling thing when you don't operate efficiently. You have to have it. And governments are terrible at that often. Yeah, so commendable. Let's step back from that. Say, okay, COO needs to be handled well. CFO needs to be handled well. Let's step up to CEO. Right. What is the vision the 50-year vision. You know, I mean, like, let's don't laugh at the idea of 50 years. I mean, that's going right. to go by like that. You know. Well, here's here's one thing, and this is is way surface, but it's global enough to be extremely important. Um, you ever been to? You ever drive the golf cart around? You know, wherever you're at, or your car, or something. At some point, you think you'd make that 18-point turn and get out of there. But at some point, it's just time to back it up yeah, right, and start yeah. over yeah. almost. From an ethics slash trust standpoint, and this seems superficial at first, we have got to restore tr trust in our government. And, and I'll give you a simple, simple, but now there's crazy things going on in Columbia with investigations and the attorney general and appointed prosecutors, and we could talk all day about that, but it, it, let's use a simple one. The beauty, whether you love it or hate it, about pennies for progress is even with the overruns we read about I or just you know, you know well here's here's my point 
you basically know what you're getting. They said, here's the thing. If you vote for this penny, here's the things they're going to do. They're going to be a little something for Fort Mill and a little something for York, and we're going to do the big road we need to. That part is well thought out of. Well, the beauty is, for the most part, the citizens say, here, take my penny because I know what you're going to do with it. We need to get back to that. Yeah, I tell you, when you say the word government, we do a little word association, do you ever think efficiency or do you ever think trust? Not you don't. Really. Yeah, not you don't. Really. Yeah. So, so, I, and it's funny with the things that are going on in Colombia now. And you know, I'm always, you know, from dealing with me with our websites, I'm always tooling ideas all the yeah. time. You know, and I'm thinking restore the trust. And here's why. Let's take it away from from ethics or anything else. Let's talk about DOT. The biggest push that they did to shut down the tax, the people that were anti-gas tax thing, was we can't trust that DOT's really spending the money they have. You know, we can't trust. So why do you want to get more money from I think that's a valid question. Well, the good thing is we've had the Legislative Oversight Committee and the Legislative Audit Council and all these groups look at these things. Now, where the proof comes in is that the governor needs to lead and work with the legislature to put these things into place where you can start trusting it. I will tell you, there is no big sellable market for bloggers or internet, getting back to your bailiwick, for for government trust. They don't want to trust us. Everybody, I get up to here with every politician's on the take, they're only lying in their own pockets. Well, call the guys at Elrod Pope when Tommy's gone three days this week yeah, and right. ask, is that better or worse for, for the Tommy. firm? Yeah, for you the know, firm. Yeah, that's know, right. You yeah. Know. So, well, but, you know, I, I, um, I was in North Africa in uh, Tangiers, and uh, this was right before 9-11. Check your papers again, brother. Know, yeah. <laughs> right before 9-11. Are you, you going to describe Casablanca now? Is that <laughs> and there was a plane taking off, and I was like, hey. No. Um, so there was garbage everywhere man i mean it was it was disgusting and 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 like it was it seemed like like i was going to get a disease and the it remind it it actually not even reminded me it enlightened me to the things that i take for granted in this country so i can complain that there's a pothole but that there's a street at all yeah. <laughs> i'm completely taken yeah. for granted you know and it, and it's like when when a you know, I constantly work on my business to create not only the actual value that we give, but also the perception of that value right. so that people are willing to pay for that value. Right. And right. so government provides a huge amount of services and government needs to instill the value of those services in the populace so that they're like, thank you for picking up my trash and paving my road, even though there's potholes in it. We've turned up, whether it's a state or a nation, and maybe it's always been like this and we're just more observant as we've gotten older, we're a nation of complainers. Oh. Now, I'm not saying, the, the beauty is for the complainers, we sure got plenty of fodder for them to complain yeah, about, right. you know what I mean? You know, but it's like, I, had, I was trying to remember, I had a lady that contacted me the other day it was something, maybe it was on the roads bill or something. She sent me an email, and at the end, she says, um, I'll tell you what it was. It was talking about, um, it was talking about the road stuff and the possibility that they would give more more oversight of DOT to the governor. 
and this lady is asking me, you know, for consideration and help, and then she goes into, well, of course, you don't want the governor to have more control to that, because I know you're running for governor, and that way you won't have to have any responsibility for it. <laughs> And, and, and then she said, you know, something else said, well, my husband and I are going to have to decide whether we're going to, you know, work against you or, or support you in the next election. Normally, I just let them lie. But I, I in the words of Popeye's, all I could stands, I can't stands no more. So I wrote back to her and said that I would not be running if I wasn't willing to shoulder the burden of the, the responsibility. I, who wants to do it? You know, that's the point. I always say that I don't want... We need somebody, whether it's Tommy Pope or somebody else, we need somebody who wants to do the job of governor, not be governor. Right, yeah. You know, look at me, Governing. I get the free Coca-Colas. You, know, you know what I mean? Governing you know, you want to politics. govern. But anyway, so I wrote back to her, and, uh, and, and I hadn't heard back from her yet, but I, I just said, um, I would also suggest, whether it's me or somebody else, find somebody that you can support doesn't have to be me, but this thing of I'm going to work against you, you know, find something. It doesn't have to be me, but I just find it more fulfilling. Give me, you know, you know, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Give me the, give me the positive. So, so anyway, I think you're right. We need to figure ways and it, (coughs) excuse me, it's not going to come overnight. Um, I think it's going to be, you're going to have to prove it, you know, and I'll give you an example. You know, at some point in my later career at Solicitor, we started drug court. And I used to say that I, that I know what drug court is. You have court at night and you prosecute more drug dealers. Right. <laughs> if I had gone and gotten elected, you know, at 29 years old and said, the first thing we're gonna do is, is, is start a drug treatment court. Right. They you know, that might've been my only term, yeah, right. you know. But I proved I could prosecute the murder cases and prosecute the drug dealers that need to. So when I came around and we started a drug court, I had enough credibility that people said, you know, well, maybe there's some merit in it. You know, so, they trusted so me is what the, it really came to. conservative uh, folks believe that you can handle the hard business of, of dealing with the hard stuff, then when you introduce soft solutions that are bigger thinking solutions, they're able to hear them. Because you've got, you built your credibility. Yes. You, I think that's, that's the deal. And I accept that's, you know, it's probably human nature. There's nothing you know? better than when a conservative you know, or at least pretty conservative Republican gentleman introduces something that is complex, multi-layered, and soft in terms of uh, approaching a long-term problem, then everybody can actually listen to it without immediately right. dismissing it. Well, the problem is down down there. They're the hardcore groups, again, going back to, you know, your bloggers or whatever, that... They don't really want to dig in. I'm the author of our ethics bill that's now in the Senate. I mean, a lot of people worked on it, but I'm the primary author on it. And it's the simplest component of it is third-party investigation. And what it is saying is, right now the legislature, you, you've heard the fox guards the hen house, the legislature polices itself, you know? Well, there's some argument that constitutionally they have to I'm not sure that's accurate, but here's what you got to deal with. You got 46 people in the Senate, and you got 124 in the House, and if over half of them believe the Constitution does require us to do it, then you got to tailor your bill a little bit. You know what I mean? But you know the the bloggers will go, well, they they really the Constitution doesn't say that. Okay, well if you'd come over here and help me 
convince 50 plus 1 percent, then yeah. we'll go out. But in the meantime, so I drafted something that took the executive branch and the legislative branch and let the governor appoint members and us appoint members and have that third party investigation. Reason as a prosecutor, I'm a fan of a third party investigation. If, if you're accused of doing something and these two guys, your boys, investigate you and they say, Jason didn't do it, I'm going to think, look at them. Yeah. Look. Look at them. You see, man. <laughs> Silent Mike, especially. So, so <laughs> arguably, if you did nothing, if you did nothing, don't you want an independent investigation? Right. Because that way, I want people who don't even know me to investigate it. So when they say I didn't do anything, it's like little things like that. I think legislatively, we missed the boat because the public, if we do, we we make more trouble by going. Well, we can't pass that. Well, why are we too powerful? And I important? can tell you that most people dislike the idea that government bodies exist in a um, different paradigm than the citizen. Right. That they police themselves, that they have their own health care. People right. are disgusted right. with that idea. I think you're right. Um, think you're right. Let me say this. I'm going to accuse you of being a pragmatist. And then I'm, I'm going to... You know, any kind of labels they get you, I'm already probably a rhino. <laughs> you, know, that's, you know, that's Republican in name only. That's oh, that the worst they call it. If I want to have deep thoughts like that, people will go, you're a rhino. Deep thoughts you know, I'm by just, Jack yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey, there may not be anything such as pie heaven, but if there is a pie heaven, all right well i am still going to uh i'm going to uh disgustingly accuse you of being a effective pragmatist and i'm going to say this to you i'm an idealist to some extent of course i also run it they say you're a dreamer bit. but you're not the only one <laughs> <laughs> nice i'm an idealist in many ways of course i also have to you know on the day-to-day -day grind make it all work so i become a pragmatist by uh, nature of implementation but i say this two ideas. I want to see where you are on these things. One is um, Charlotte to Charleston high-speed rail connected to run people and, it, and the new economy is based on people. That's one idea. Second idea is all those roads that people don't drive on that we can't justify uh, doing paving and stuff because they're rural and like two people drive on them yet equitable experience would say they deserve safe transport too. Let's pave them all with solar panels. With solar panels? Two crazy ideas. Let me hear what the pragmatist future governor has to say about these, these crazy ideas. All right, the advantage, is there gonna be an electric car that rides on top of this solar panel? Or how <laughs> is paving those by solar panels helping those guys get farm to market? Well, they're roads that they functionally can drive on as roads, but they're providing the entire state with electricity we can't justify paving them because nobody, like eight people drive on them. But what if they were constantly generating electricity for the entire state? We would be glad only eight people drive How much does a solar panel cost compared to asphalt? I don't know, but maybe we should create a task force. Oh, no, well, we can do that. And then we'll have a report <laughs> and we'll put it on the shelf right next to my tax reform <laughs> report. <laughs> now, let's, let's go to the high-speed railwood. All right. I'm going to give you an example. This, this is going to sound evasive, but, but ride with me on this. Do you know what Common Core is? Yes, education. Okay, and what is it really? Do you really I, know? I really don't know. Okay, I'm going to tell you because I do. Because everybody uh, that wasn't in my family, wasn't in law enforcement, was in education. So when I get elected in 2010, I decide, again, I want to do something different than criminal justice. You know, I know criminal justice. I want to, you know, be involved in some other things. So I go to this seminar all about Common Core. And here's what I learned, that the states 
Now, I'm going to walk through this slow because anytime you say Common Core, you know, I've just lost your whole Republican. Oh, wait, there weren't any. Yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So, uh, so now you're supposed nice. to say because they couldn't turn the computer on. Yeah, I got right. you. You're going to make some money. Okay. So, so anyway, the gist of Common Core was states got together and said, let's use a simple, good Republican example. You're in the military in Alabama, and your kid's in third grade, and you have to move to Shaw Air Force Base. Right. So when they move, they lose no ground educationally because there would be a commonality in what they were learning in Alabama to where they came here. That's Sounds the legitimate. Okay, that's the gist of it. Okay, so... The other thing that I thought was interesting in this seminar, I mean, I'm all jacked up about it, you know, I go, is it was kind of sad. It is not a federal program. The states got together and came up with this because they saw a need. Two things I'll say on that. I thought that's why we had the federal government. So this is an indictment on the federal government. So that's the states getting together to see a need, but you could take the same thing and say, brought to you by the federal government, right. you know, we're here to, you know. So it was interesting to me, just as an observation in the class, that um, it was the states getting together for a good cause. So the idea, the, the, the disgust I hear from some people that, oh, the federal government's gonna tell me how to educate my kids, is a it wasn't total even, it wasn't even a federal program. No. Okay, but here's, here's, the, here's the, the lesson I wanna give you in all this is, uh, Okay, so I get back from my seminar, and there's maybe something. The state was already, South Carolina already in our educational program, was used Common Core or whatever. And so the first year, you know, one of the guys is coming around, we're voting on the budget, and he said, Don't vote for this Common Core stuff. He said, It's a federal program. And I'm going, Little Tommy's been to a seminar. Yeah, it's right. not, a, you know, it's not, not a federal program. program. Let me tell you what it is. Let's what, tell you what it is. Okay, well, anyway, so, you know, it was in, in the state plan for a while then like last the last couple years the hue and cry from the internet anecdotally everybody's always got the story you know they're teaching you know my kids about you know gender confusion or whatever they take one question you know i'm making that up but you know they would take one extreme oh, that's question right now oh, yeah. Yeah. you drop that pandora's box or well <laughs> no i said gender confusion they, they oh, apparently okay, aren't confused. They know exactly <laughs> they know what bathroom exactly is. Yeah. We're the ones that's yeah. confused. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. But anyway, <laughs> um, so so long story short, hue and cry, Common Core is evil, you know, because they're teaching you, you know, it's all Obama. It, it just wasn't true. Right. But the, the groundswell got so big that finally South Carolina abandoned Common Core standards. Now, ironically, we now have South Carolina standards. Which is basically Common Core standards. I can neither confirm nor deny that because I'm not in the Department of Education. But my point being, you kind of politically, you were talking about government, talking about politics, at some point you pick your battles. Because yeah. I'm thinking, Common Core is really not what they're saying. But at the end of the day, you're easier, you end up voting to get rid of it because it's getting rid of anyway. And so my, so my point where you're, we're, is you're not going to pick the battle of running trains from Charlotte to Let me tell you, Charlotte. well, that's what I was going to, that's close. What I was going <laughs> to tell you, <laughs> I just, I went to Taiwan last year. I'm a big fan of the high speed train. I mean, you get on and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we had one that goes, you know, to Columbia, to Charleston, you had one that came from Florence, you had one drop in Greenville. It'd be perfect. I'm not sure why, but 
there is no stomach for that politically whatsoever. That's why I was using the Common Core example. I don't know the reason exactly. I really hadn't done my homework because in the abstract, when I'm ridden on the fast train in Taiwan or whatever, and I envision what it could mean for us connecting you know, down there, like when we go to the Panthers game and take the little train, you know, the Lynx thing, you know, we park over here, you know, you know. So. Somehow, I gotta interject. Somehow I feel that, um, unfortunately, though a very great, you know, conversation that needs to be had and a viable mode of transportation has gotten lumped into the, uh, like, oh, that's on the liberal side versus the conservative side, be. and it's unfortunate. It may, it, it may be. Yeah. It may be. I just know. That's where we need the pragmatist, man. I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah. Well, that's honestly, if I can interject a little bit here, it's it's funny that you know you're talking about the O.J. Simpson trial. I view, and maybe it's just my life experience, I view that as the big sort of moment, and that was right before the internet became like totally ubiquitous. But to me, that was the big event that kicked off the society where people were watching that trial like it was a TV show, and the reality and narrative got totally blended up. And it was the big kickoff that, and so when you talk about a lot of the issues that muddy up kind of the things that we right. view culturally, the idea of, because I, all I care about is movies. I'm a filmmaker, that's all my thing. And uh, so narrative is the most important thing in the world to me. But when it comes to reality, I think narrative doesn't have much of a place. And narrative teaches us about right. reality, right. but we can't mix up narrative and reality and, 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 and expect to have things good come out of that. Right. You know, and that's the idea, like you said, well, that thing, we, we throw that out. That's, oh, uh, climate change? Oh, that's a liberal thing. So throw it out. So it's narrative, narrative, narrative. Yeah. And, and the idea of what the facts don't matter anymore. All you have is a game. All you have is narrative. I'll tell you what, though, I man. I think you're right. I think, I think you're, you're right. so right. And I will say this. I don't know of any time that, I, that I've been sitting with someone, whether they're super liberal or super conservative, I don't know of any time where we haven't dispelled those things one-on-one, eye-to-eye, in conversation, and been able to say, this seems to make sense, and this seems to make sense, and we're like, oh yeah, that, oh god, if you and I ran the world, we would be, it would be great, yeah. Two more beers and we'll run the world, yeah, yeah. It's not as if there aren't, it's all that garbage driving everything we do. I think noise. I, I'll, I'll tell you, as a political observation, um, you know, like we talk about the roads, for example, and we hope it never comes to this, but it said, you know, they're never going to fix all these bridges. We're still going to jockey around till a school bus plunges through one of these faulty bridges. Emergency. Then, yeah. We're going to throw yeah. everything upside down. Yeah. And, that's the, that I, and I don't know how you fix it, but the, the downside of, of, of the political system is you got to decide, and, it, and it's hard, are you going to govern or are you going to get reelected? Because if you make the hard right decisions everything, you know, down the line, then suddenly I'd be filled in a thousand, you know, you know conversations about um, um, Common Core or whatever. So, so it is, I've noticed... But don't you have to do both? Like, I think about my business. Like, I want to do the good work that we do, but i got to make payroll every two weeks, man. we got to make money. So, like, you want to do the good thing that you do, but you got to get reelected to do it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic, and, and, you know, it spirals. You know, it kind of goes back to your observations. I think the OJ thing's right. You know, we started reality TV, yeah. and there for a little bit, reality TV might have really been, like, real, you know, like they just put a camera, but that didn't last Not long. Not at all. You yeah. know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so that's going, well, back then it was court TV, too. And, right. like, you know, um, 
I tried a number of cases on court TV, and it was funny. It like even the Smith thing. I laughed. Um, it ended up ultimately the judge ruled cameras out of the courtroom, which is a side note. Then the sketch artists come with their charcoal drawing, which the guy that drew me must have been from DC Comics because I look like Dick Dick Tracy with this Hulk Bill nose, you know. But uh, you know, but well, you shouldn't have worn that trench coat. Yeah. That yeah. Top it was the yellow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Damn, you were asking yeah. for it. Well, then I was solving all those yeah. mysteries, you know. Yeah, Tommy gun. I was right there. Yeah, I was right you there between. You carried that Tommy gun. Yeah. I was right there between <laughs> Dick. That's good. Yeah. Dick Tracy and uh, and Scooby Doo. And the man <laughs> with the yellow hat. Yeah. Yeah. Curious yeah. George. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that. He missed your Tommy gun. That was the best yeah, one. I know, I think, yeah. You know. <laughs> but I, I think that that you know you end up. I don't know how people contact me all the time with something they've seen on the internet as gospel. It was funny right after. Uh, Right after uh, April 1st, I, somebody did this little thing and I posted on my page, said, man, I'm, I'm glad it's April 2nd. That means everything again, on the internet is true again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, listen, Tommy, it's been an absolute pleasure, man, having you on this podcast. I'm telling you, I, I you know, I think that what I've experienced from you over the past however many years I've known you, whatever, is it doesn't matter whether I agree with you or not. You you will listen. You will respond. And um, you seem to always have, of course, you always have, you know, a, a joke and a jovial response, which helps people kind of get over their anger, their right. seething right. anger that they right. seem to have, which is needed, very needed. I'm telling you, man, people got to freaking relax. Good God, man. But anyway, oh, Mr. Pope has a CWP. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I tell you, I I am, uh, you know, I don't mean to be. Uh, this obviously isn't a journalistic podcast, so I'm not supposed to be cutting edge, breaking you down. You know, I I just have always been uh, fond of the fact that you, um, you know, you entertain ideas. You know, you you, you want to kind of, you want everybody to get along and do well and succeed, and and that's kind of seems to be your mo. You know? I think I think. That is, it kind of goes back to what we said. If you were on the receiving end, how would you want to be treated? Yeah. You know, if I had a chance to express an idea that maybe you agree with or don't, wouldn't you want to at least hear me out? Kind of goes back earlier when we were talking about the solicitor job. You know, a solicitor job's really to seek the truth. If I'm just the punishing solicitor, then I don't really need to hear anything you got to say, you know? And so I, that's really something. And, and it's kind of, it's a discipline because I'm human. You know, like the rest of us, I got my own strong opinions. It drives my wife crazy because somebody will transgress against the Pope family. Yeah, right. And I'm going, well, in fairness to them, that's my key phrase, in, in fairness, fairness to them, yeah. she's going, you know, in fairness. Fair, they can say horrible things yeah, about to my, my family. Child. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so uh, she's tightened me up all day a little sure, bit. You know, yeah. but, uh, right. But, you know, but you don't want to be the other extreme and do the Donald Trump of like, well, he said it first. He yeah, started it. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Know. I tell you, for me, you know, politically, too, though, I find... If I meet with some opposition, it's kind of like doing a closing argument. You know, when you get ready to do a closing argument, and I've done, like I said, the ones on court TV, and the whole, the victim, the courtroom, everybody's counting on you. And you know, sometimes I'm thinking, man, I wish I was home under the bed, yeah, right, but you yeah. can't. Yeah. You know, and so I kind of, the politics thing, I kind of set myself up with challenges. I mean, the truth is, it's gonna take a lot of money to run for governor. It's gonna take a lot of time. There's a trillion reasons it'd be easier not, not to do it. it. Yeah. 
but that's the very mindset that makes me think I got to give it a shot. Yeah, right. You know, I don't want to go on a fool's errand. You know what I mean? If, you know, I laughed. I, I said, "There's some guys that want to run for my seat when I leave," and uh, and some of them are friends, and I value their opinion. And I thought, uh, "Well, buddy, you have no credibility with me anymore." He said, "What do you mean?" I said, "I'll be polling at like 0.02 percent." He'll go. What's wrong? You scared? <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, because yeah. he wants my seat. Yeah. You know, you know. So, so anyway, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give it a shot. I got a good game plan. Either I'll be governor, or I'll be off on my. You know, I'll be totally out of politics and off on my next adventure. And I'm I'm good with either one of them. Well, that's exciting, man. And it's a pleasure for us to have potentially the future governor on the podcast and uh, and the service that you're doing now in in, in uh, District 47. We appreciate what you guys do up well, I there. Appreciate it. I, I'm, I'm honored to do it good that's and i and i i hate that uh there seems to be this weird seething disgust around politics because it's so funny the people that i hear get you know that i watch get red-faced and have ulcers when they talk about how they hate the government when you say well what do you think about this individual person oh he does a good job my, yeah. my, my representative <laughs> right. is not the problem yeah right you know, exactly. i mean and that's true the schools are the same way man right. people will say oh the schools in this country are horrible well how's your child's school oh it's great yeah i yeah. love those yeah. teachers yeah. yeah yeah i think abstraction is the key element oh, to yeah. almost all evil done hate. in life you can you know? hate when you abstract yeah. that's right well right. i even say this this is going to get this going to get me kicked back in the rhino club i sometimes think that uh um the corporate mentality sometimes, it's a lot easier to make, you know, we deal with it, unfortunately, at our law firm with decisions that may be made on a corporate level that take lives that you would never look that guy and his family, you know, his family in the eye and say, we're going to risk your daughter or we're going to risk this. But I see that sometimes too. It's a lot easier. It's like the mob mentality. You know, people will do things in a mob that they would never do otherwise, stomping somebody or hitting them or so. And it's like they get into this frenzy that takes thing. And I think the same thing is corporate-wise, I think sometimes that happens too. Well, when you, yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I don't even have it, uh, anything to add to that because that's, that's poignant. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it ride from there. So let me say this. Chris, you look handsome, dude. Man, thanks, dude. I'm, I really got dolled up for this podcast, so... <laughs> How it's ironic, the video guy, and you don't let him shoot any video. Yeah, I, think right, right, yeah. I don't see why. It's because out in listener land, you can't count how many little teeny glasses the host has sitting next to him. And Tommy, I will say it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast, and we'll, we'll you have guys. you back. We'll I have appreciate you back. you including me. Thank you Absolutely. a lot. And Silent Mike, I'm going to give the last word to you. Of course, you always end it with a very wise statement. Well said, well said. And I guess we'll see you next week on Old Town New World.